This is the next sermon in the series by Christopher Love of 16 Sermons on Grace. This is Sermon 11. And the text is 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Having dispatched three cases of conscience concerning strength of grace, I now proceed to a fourth. Whether a man that hath strength of grace may want the comfort of his grace. I shall answer this question affirmatively. A man that hath the strength of grace, yet may want the comfort of it. Strength of grace, as you have heard, doth not exempt a man from temptations from the devil, nor from desertions from God. It is an undoubted rule. There may be strength of grace where there is not the comfort and evidence of it. A child of light may walk in darkness for a time, and though he have the Holy Ghost working grace and increasing grace in his heart, yet he may want the oil of gladness, though he hath received a precious anointing of grace. A child of God, as to his spiritual condition, may for a time be in the same condition that Paul and the mariners were in, who for many days had neither sun nor stars appear, being under no small tempest, hopes of being saved, being taken away. And so it fares with God's dearest children that they be in the dark and can see no light. They may have the graces of the Spirit and yet want the comforts of the Spirit. In the opening of which point I shall thus proceed, first I will prove this from Scripture, that a child of God may be strong in grace and yet want the comfort of his grace. Second, I will lay down some reasons why it is thus. And third, some directions how those that have grace and yet do want the comfort of their graces should procure unto themselves the comfort of their graces. Fourth, and then I shall commend some comfortable considerations to such as have grace but want the comfort of it. For the first, I shall give you instances both in the Old and New Testament that those that have been strong in grace have wanted comfort. First, Job. A man eminent for grace, a perfect and upright man, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And yet you have Job complaining, Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and holdest me for thine enemy? Job 13.24 Nay, God did not only hide his face, but handle him as his enemy. For he thus makes his moan. He tears me in his wrath. That is to be referred to God and not to the devil or to Job's unmerciful enemies or uncharitable friends. He teareth me. That is, God teareth me. Who in my apprehension, saith Job, hateth me and gnasheth upon me with his teeth and as an enemy sharpeneth his eyes upon me. Job 16.9 And that these sad apprehensions were upon Job that God was his enemy. See him further lamenting himself. He hath destroyed me on every side and I am gone. And mine hope hath he removed as a tree. He hath also kindled his wrath against me and counteth me unto him as one of his enemies. Yea, destruction from God was a terror to him. Job 19:10 and 11. 
second Asaph, an holy man, yet thus complains, Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? That's Psalm 77, verse 7. These are the sad expostulations of a troubled spirit cast down under deep dejections and in the dark by reason of the, di- of the suspension of divine favor. David, a man after God's heart, whose gracious breathings through the whole book of Psalms show that he was a man of excellent spirit and had much grace, yet David wanted the comfort of his grace when his soul was cast down and his spirit was disquieted within him. And also Heman, a man who for wisdom so eminent that the Holy Ghost useth him as an instance of wisdom, as wise as Heman. And yet in the 88th Psalm, quite through that Psalm, was a strain of as sad a complaint as you shall meet with all in the whole book of God. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit in darkness, in the deep thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. So little comfort had these holy men, though they were eminent in grace. It is true of many dear children of God that what was said of the apostles and disciples of Christ, whether I go, saith Christ, ye know, and the way ye know. To which speech of Christ Thomas answers in the next verse, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Augustine doth thus reconcile this. They did know whither Christ went, but they durst not once believe that they had such knowledge. They did not know their own knowledge. The expressions of Christ were different from those words of Thomas. The Lord Jesus spake as it was, and Thomas spake as he thought. The apostles had grace and yet wanted the comfort and assurance of it. I will not instance here of the Lord Jesus, who, though he was full of grace and truth, yet he wanted comfort when he was in that bitter agony and cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Indeed, in the New Testament, there are not so many instances of those that wanted the comfort of their graces as we find in the Old Testament. And the reason is this. Profession at the first publishing and promulgation of the gospel, met with so many and such sharp afflictions that God did indulge them and made their inward graces to abound as their outward sufferings did abound. 2 Corinthians 1.4 These instances may suffice to prove that it is true believers who are strong in grace yet may want the comfort of their graces. To give you some grounds of this, the reasons may be drawn either from God or second, from ourselves, or third, from the devil. First reason is from the Lord. To withhold from them to whom he hath given grace, the comfort of their grace, to manifest divine authority and absolute sovereignty over his people. As the natural light of the day and darkness of the night are at God's disposal, so also is the spiritual light of comfort 
and the darkness of a deserted and dejected spirit. God gives divine and spiritual consolations out of the goodness of his will and withdraws them to show the absoluteness and sovereign liberty of his will. And second, to let his people know that comfort is not essential to holiness, neither inseparably and necessarily belonging to grace. Though there cannot be true peace where there is no grace, yet there may be true grace where there is no peace. Third, God in the dispensation both of grace and comfort shows himself a free and gracious agent and all our graces which God works in us are merely from God's grace to us. He will give comfort when and to whom he pleaseth, but still as a reward of his own free grace, the comfort of a pardon. The comfortable knowledge of a pardon is as well from God's free grace as the pardon itself. And therefore God suspends the comfort of grace to make us look to him for it. When thou repentest, God gives a pardon. But therein he rewards his own work in thee. To give a pardon or sense of a pardon is an act of mere liberality in God. God doth this to put difference between heaven and earth. Heaven is a place for comfort. Earth for duty. Earth is for the getting of grace. Heaven for the rewarding of grace. Our Lord Jesus Christ, like the good master of the feast, reserves the best for last. The sons of nobles, when they travel into foreign parts, have no more allowance than, than what will accommodate their travels. The inheritance is reserved for them when they come to their father's house. So believers who are strangers and pilgrims here, they have so much grace and comforts as befits their passage to heaven but they have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, but is reserved in the heavens. God thinks it not fit to give constant comforts in an inconstant world, nor full comforts in an empty world, nor lasting comforts in a transitory world. The second reason may be taken from ourselves. And that, in many respects, those that have much grace yet may have but a little comfort, and this may spring from a threefold root in us. First, from something that is merely natural in us. Second, from something that is spiritual and good. Third, from something that is evil in us. First, this may arise from the prevalency of a natural melancholy in the body, whereby the understanding may be darkened, the fancy, <clears throat> the fancy troubled, reason perverted, and uh, the soul saddened. <clears throat> Melancholy is the mother of discomfort and the nurser of doubting. It was, as some think, a depth of melancholy that prevailed upon Nebuchadnezzar that he did not know, whilst under the power of that distemper, whether he was a man or a beast. And in like manner may this bodily melancholy so far distemper thy soul that thou who hast grace yet mayest not know whether thou art a child of God or a child of the devil. It is no more wonder 
to see a melancholy man doubt and question his spiritual condition than it is to see a child cry when he is beaten or to hear a sick man groan. You may silence a melancholy man when you are not able to comfort him. And though you may resolve his doubts and scruples by evident and convincing answers and arguments, yet uh, let but such a man retire alone and brood over his melancholy thoughts, by the prevalency of this perturbing humor all is forgotten and he is as unsatisfied as if you had said nothing to him. And you may perceive that it is the power of melancholy that is the cause of a man's distemper when he is very much troubled and yet can give no distinct account of any particular thing that doth trouble him. This discomfort often ariseth from that which is good in us that is, from that holy jealousy and tenderness of conscience which makes a child of God suspect and inquire into his condition. And though he have the true grace and much grace, yet he is afraid, lest all be but a delusion. In such cases the soul doth so pour on sin and infirmities that it cannot see its own evidences. A tender conscience is more apt to be dejected in the sight of sin than to be comforted in the sense of grace. And the reason of this is because sin doth more directly fall under the cognizance of our conscience, especially a natural conscience. The works of the flesh are manifest, Galatians 5.17. But the fruits of grace and of the Spirit are not so easily discerned. This discomfort usually springs from a root of bitterness. Third case, even in the best of God's children, and that whereby God doth punish the sins of his people. First, they're quenching the motions of the Spirit. If you grieve the Spirit of God, it is just with God to grieve your spirits. You never send God's Spirit sad to heaven, but God may make sad your spirits on earth. Second, slightiness and fearlessness of heart towards God. When children go saucy, peremptory and malapert before their parents. It is no wonder if a, if a father's frown correct that irreverence. Most of those who lie uncomfortably under the sense of displeasure of God may thank themselves for it. They have provoked God by their bearing themselves too much upon his love and growing secure and fearless to offend God. God loves to have his children come near him in a holy confidence that he is their father, but yet to keep their distance by humble reverence. Third, another sin that God punishes in his children by withholding comfort from them, that are strong in grace, is their superciliousness, contempt, and uncompassionateness towards others that are but weak in grace. <clears throat> God's own people are very much to blame herein. In rigor and unmercifulness towards those that are weak in the faith. Despising all that are inferior to them in gifts and graces. Whereby they often break the bruised reed and quench the smoking flax. And want bowels of pity and tenderness toward their brethren. To take down pride, God often brings such, even his own people, to be low in comfort And it is but just that they should want comfort who have neglected to comfort and cherish those that are weak in grace.
forth a growing cold and lazy and heedless in holy duties. If we put off God without true service, God may justly put us off without true comfort. This rule holds in spiritual affairs. He that will not work shall not eat. If we abate in the sanctifying work of the Spirit, it is but just that God withhold the comforting work of the Spirit. The sluggard, saith Solomon, hath poverty enough. So if we grow lazy and sluggish in holy duties, it is just that our stock of comfort do decay. Though holy duties do not merit comforts, yet comfort usually ariseth and falls according to our diligence and duties. True grace is never so apparent to and as sensible in the soul as when it is in action. And therefore, want of exercise must needs cause want of comfort. As fire in the flint is never seen or felt till it be struck out by the steel, so is grace. And the comfort of grace never so sensible as when it is exercised much in holy duties. Fifth, any one sin indulged by or concealed in the conscience is enough to mar all your comfort. Concealed guilt contracts horror. The candle will never burn clear whilst there is a thief in it. Sin in the conscience is like Jonah in the ship, which causeth the tempest that the conscience is like a troubled sea whose waters cannot rest. Or it is like a mote in the eye, which causeth a perpetual trouble while it is there. Or like the wind gathered in the caverns of the earth and maketh earthquakes and terrible eruptions. It is just with God that a man's own iniquities should correct him and his backsliding should reprove him. Jeremiah 2.19 Concealed guilt, though it may not bring a child of God to hell, yet for a time it may bring hell into his conscience. So that by all these particulars we may see that if our comforts be abated, we may thank ourselves for it. The third reason is taken from the restless rage and malice of Satan, who when he cannot do the greater will do the less, and if he cannot damn thy soul, he will labor all he can to disquiet thy conscience. The devil aims principally to make us walk sinfully, and if not so, then uncomfortably. If he cannot make us live without God and Christ and grace in the world, then he endeavors to make us live beside the comfort of our grace. Hence it is that many dear children to God who have the truth, have truth and strength of grace in them, yet hearkening too much to Satan, live beside the comfort of their grace. But what shall I do that want the comfort of my grace to procure it, that so I may have comfort answerable to grace? First, live more in the exercise of grace. That is the ready way, not only to increase grace, but to obtain the comfort of grace. It was the apostolic salutation. Grace and peace be multiplied. If grace be multiplied, and that it will by the exercise of it, then peace also will be multiplied. The work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Isaiah 32.17 Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Psalm 119, 165. Second, leave no sin unrepented of. 
Take heed of guilt of sin lying on the conscience. Take away the thief out of the candle and it will burn clear. If iniquity be in thy hand, put it far from thee. Let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. Thou shalt then lift up the face, thy face without spot. Yea, thou shalt be steadfast and shalt not fear. Job 11:14 and 15. Behold, now, saith Job, I have ordered my cause. I know that I shall be justified. Job 13:18. The more ordered our ways are, the more steady and full are our comforts. The more sin in the soul, the less comfort in that soul. Call to mind, thirdly, former experiences that thy soul hath had of God. Thus did David, when by reason of the discomfort of his soul, he cried, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and from the Hermonites. Psalm 62, 5 and 6. That is, I will remember thee and what thou didst at Jordan when thou didst dry up the river and thy people passed on dry land into Canaan. And I will remember the land of the Hermonites, that is, what thou didst unto Og, king of Bashan, and to Sihon, king of the Amorites, for Hermon was part of the country of those kings. So the psalmist was under great discomfort when he cried, Will the Lord cast off forever? Is his mercy clean gone from me? Etc. Psalm 77, 6. But he uh, recovers himself out of that sad case by remembering former experiences. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate of all thy works and talk of thy doings. Psalm 77 again. Past experiences should be present encouragements Fourth, attribute to God the glory of his own grace. This is the way to enjoy the comfort of our grace. Say with the church, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name. Give the glory. Psalm 115.1 We just with God to deny you the comfort of grace if you deny him the glory of his grace. Want of comfort is God's physic to cure out souls of spiritual pride and humble thankfulness for the least of, of grace is the way to enjoy the comfort of all our graces. Five, spend more time in cherishing thy comforts than in questioning of them. It is the fault of some Christians to spend more time in fruitless complaints of the want of comfort than in faithful endeavors after comfort in God's way. There are those who are more inquisitive how they lost their comforts than they are careful to recover them. And so indeed they weaken their own hand, but do strengthen the hands of Satan. A fourth general propounded in the solution of this case was this, that what may be the comfortable considerations which may be gathered from the truth delivered, that strong Christians may be but weak in comfort. Now the handling of this last will be in an application of the other three particulars by way of consolation to those that may perhaps now have strong grace, but weak comfort. First, the godly are never without the ground of comfort, though they may be without the, the sense of comfort. Though they may be without present feeling, yet they do not want real cause of consolation. They have an undoubted right to comfort, 
though not a clear sight of comfort. A child may have a right to an inheritance, though he be not able to demonstrate and prove his right. Perhaps a man cannot read his evidences for his land, <clears throat> and yet those evidences might those evidences give him a right to his lands. <clears throat> so it is with a child of God. He hath comfort sowed, though perhaps he cannot perfect presently reap it. Light is sowed for the righteous and joy for the upright of heart. As it was with Hagar in the wilderness of Beersheba, her water was spent in the bottle, and she cast her child away from her because she could not endure to see him die. She lifted up her voice and wept that she and her child should both miserably perish by thirst. And yet there was a well of water hard by her, but she saw it not. So it is with many a poor soul who are athirst for comfort, and as they think, ready to perish, and yet there is a well of water of life and comfort fast by, but they want the eye of faith to see it. And this is a great comfort, that a child of God, though he may want comfort, yet he hath right unto comfort, and that he hath truth of grace in him. At that time when God withholds comfort from thee, yet doth he really love thee. Jesus Christ, Christ doth sometimes serve his children as Joseph served his brethren. He spake roughly to them and he put them in prison. And yet Joseph did dearly love his brethren and his bowels did yearn towards them. And thus Jesus Christ, his real love is the same to his children at all times though the manifestation of it may not be always alike. Joseph knew his brethren, though his brethren did not know him. The Lord knows who are his, though those that are his perhaps do not know that they are so. Jesus knew Mary, though she did not know him. There may be much mercy to us in withdrawing of comfort. There may be as much goodness of God manifested in the withdrawing of comfort as in the giving of comfort. God many times in wrath lets a man be filled with the ungrounded comfort of supposed grace. Oh, beloved, it is far better to want comfort than grace. Many a man that hath no true grace yet hath seeming comfort But a child of God is often without comfort, that he may examine and exercise his grace, and so at last enjoy a well-grounded joy and a well-bottomed consolation. Grace is the best foundation of spiritual consolation. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.sw.org.
swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.